uh, looking once again at uh, Jonah chapter 2, and I'll read through, uh, read uh, beginning at verse 1 through verse 7. This is now to the reading of God's holy word. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer ran up to you into your holy temple. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for your word. We thank you for its truth, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come once again to this passage this morning, we pray that your spirit would be active and working in our midst, going forth with your word. And that as your word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, we do pray, Father, that it would find within each one of our hearts that rich, fertile soil that will bring about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. We ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, as Christians... As those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great blessings that we enjoy is the comfort of God's Word that He's graciously revealed to us in the Bible. God certainly could have created us and then just left us to ourselves, leaving us to kind of figure out on our own who we are, why we're here, and what our purpose is. Yet God, the Creator, was pleased to reveal Himself to us, the creature. Not just through His creation in a, in a general way, as He does to all, but in a very special way, God has revealed Himself in His Word to His people. So that we might not only have the answers to these great questions of life, but also that we might come, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's Word is for us a great blessing. A treasure trove of, of truth and comfort. Indeed, it's spiritual food which the Lord has given to nourish our hearts, souls, and minds each and every day. What's more, we are blessed to have this great, the great privilege to gather together here as, as one body in Christ each Lord's Day to especially feast on this spiritual food as we hear the Word of God read, proclaimed, and sung, both for our edification and ultimately for the glory of God. You see, because both the daily 
and the weekly feeding upon the Word of God is most necessary for us as we live our lives as those who are still imperfect because of the remnant of the sin nature that remains in us and because we're surrounded by sinners and we live in a fallen and sinful world. The more we feed upon the Word of God, the more it will strengthen and encourage us in our daily battles against sin and temptation. It will embolden us as witnesses for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will challenge us to truly love the Lord our God and to love our neighbors as He calls us to do. And it will also offer to us the comfort that we need in that hour of need. Even in forming our prayers as we cry out to Him in faith, looking for His mercy and grace. We're given an example of this very thing in our passage this morning. We remember Jonah was on the run from the Lord. In vain he tried to flee from God's presence as he rebelled against the Lord's call to go to Nineveh. But Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was one who knew and proclaimed the word of God. And as much as he tried to escape God's presence and suppress the truth of God's word, he couldn't. It was there, buried it deep within his heart, where it had been planted since childhood and watered and grown throughout his life. And indeed, what a great blessing that was and would be for Jonah. For as he descended into the depths of the sea, with death about to consume him, in that last moment of consciousness, Jonah remembered the Lord, and he remembered the word of the Lord as it informed his prayer. As he called upon the Lord for mercy and deliverance. We'll see this as we consider Jonah's prayer this morning. But we'll also note that as Jonah prays, He's also prophesying. That is, he's speaking God's word of what is to come, not for himself, but for another, even the Lord Jesus Christ. We've noted before that Jonah is, uh, in the first uh, chapter, pretty much that we've, as we've seen, Jonah is an antitype of Christ. That is, he's presented as the opposite of who Christ was, is, and what Christ accomplished. And Jonah did everything completely opposite that Jesus did. He never, Jonah never asked, what would Jesus do? He just did whatever the opposite of what Jesus would do. But here, right in the middle of the book of Jonah, in his prayer... Jesus, or Jonah, actually becomes a type of Christ. A picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as he prays and prophesies of what Jesus, our Savior, would endure on our behalf. Now, After Jonah is saved from death through the Lord's miraculous provision of the great fish... Jonah does something here that he hasn't done before in this entire account. He prays. Chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. 
Now this is significant as there were several occasions before this where we might expect a prophet of the Lord to cry out to the Lord in prayer. For example, back in chapter 1, verse 6, the captain of the ship arouses Jonah from his slumber and charged him, Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. But we have no indication that Jonah responded to the captain's call and prayed to the Lord for deliverance. Even when Jonah went uh, up to the deck and he saw uh, the, the crew members in a great panic and then they, uh, the lot fell on Jonah and everyone knew that Jonah was the cause of this great storm, Jonah didn't pray. He didn't intercede for these men who were terrified that their lives were going to be lost. Nor did he pray for the Lord's mercy on his own soul as the sailors tossed him overboard into the angry sea. Jonah never prayed. But now, we read here in chapter 2-1 that Jonah prayed from the belly of the fish. But note this, the, the prayer that's recorded here is actually the second prayer that Jonah prayed. You see, this is the prayer that he prayed after He was delivered from death. After he descended to the bottom of the sea and was graciously saved by the Lord through the great fish swallowing him up. And as we'll see, it's largely a prayer of thanksgiving for the Lord's mercy. Now before this prayer, before he was in the belly of the fish, there was another prayer that we considered in some detail last time. The prayer Jonah uttered with his last breath as he was about to be consumed by death. This is the prayer that we find in Jonah 2, verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. And so when Jonah prays from the belly of the fish, sometime in the span of those three days and three nights, he looks back and he remembers the Lord's deliverance in answer to the prayer that he prayed at the bottom of the sea. Now, after being delivered, he gives thanks to God for his life-saving mercy. And so there are two prayers here. There's the bottom of the sea prayer, a plea for help, and then there's the belly of the fish prayer, which is a prayer of thanksgiving. And so since we already considered the bottom of the sea prayer last time, this morning we're going to consider Jonah's second prayer in the belly of the fish, his prayer of remembrance and thanksgiving. In verse 2, Jonah uh, uh, presents a, a summary of his experience. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah describes his ordeal as affliction or suffering. As he describes his descent to the bottom of the sea, we understand that this affliction was great. Again, look at the language that he uses to describe this. Verse 3, he was cast into the deep, into the heart of the seas. He was surrounded by floods. 
Billows and waves were crashing over his head. In verse 5, waters surrounded him. The deep closed around him. Weeds were wrapped around his head, pulling him down, down to the pit of the earth as the bars of the grave began to close behind him. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like affliction to me. A most terrifying affliction. That, as we noted before, is a picture of death itself. Indeed, the pit and Sheol especially are terms often used in Scripture to describe death. And as Jonah acknowledges this harrowing experience, he understands that the Lord spared him from this sure and certain death. And again, in that last possible moment, before death consumed him, is when he remembered the Lord and he cried out in prayer for the first time. But as Jonah recounts his dis- this descent into death, he also remembers that the Lord his God is a sovereign God. As creator of heaven and earth, the Lord God has unparalleled power over all that he has created. Jonah first acknowledges this when he testified to the sailors on the ship back in chapter 1, verse 9. He said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. He's saying, look, my God is the creator of everything, and even the creator of this storm. Now, though Jonah's testimony there to the sailors was true, we remember at the time, he spoke it as a hypocrite as one on the run from the presence of this all-powerful God that he was supposed to be fearing. But as Jonah recounts his plunge to the depths, he sees the sovereign hand of the Lord at work each step of the way. Now obviously he acknowledges that the treacherous storm itself was the Lord's doing. He says that back in uh, chapter 1 verse 12, For I know that this great tempest is because of me. He knew the storm was the Lord's discipline upon him. But Jonah even acknowledges that even the actions of the sailors, the actions that they took at his urging, even those actions were the outworking of God's sovereign plan and purpose. You see, even though the the sailors were the one who cast Jonah into the sea... What is, look what Jonah prays here. He prays to the Lord in verse 3. For you, Lord, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And then he's there among the, the, the billows and the waves of the storm. But what does he say about that? All your billows. The billows that, that God is in control of, that God sent. All your billows and your waves have passed over me. And so Jonah acknowledges That the Lord was in control the whole time. Which again is astonishing since Jonah was actively denying this truth by his actions in his attempts to flee. Indeed, Jonah gets what he wanted. Remember, he wanted to flee from the Lord's presence and the Lord, in a sense, granted him that. As he says in verse 4, I've been cast out of your sight. I say in a sense, because we know, as we've considered before, and Jonah knew, the truth of Psalm 139, that there's no place where we can go where the Lord isn't present. He's everywhere. Not even the depths of the sea 
not even in Sheol, in the place of the dead. The Lord is there. But as Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden from the goodness of the presence and the close fellowship of the Lord because of their sin, well, so too Jonah, for a time, is cast out from the Lord's good presence as he experienced the terrifying descent into death, the very curse for his sin. Beloved of God, the point that we want to remember here is that God is truly sovereign over all things, even over our own sinful actions, plots, and schemes. We think that we're in control. We want to believe that that we're the masters of our own destinies and that we can simply just ignore what God says and that we can actually thwart His plans and purposes to accomplish our own plans and purposes. And at times, it seems that we do just that as the Lord gives us over to the sin that we pursue, even as He did with Jonah. See, but the Lord is always working out His perfect plan. Even as the patriarch Joseph testified to his brothers regarding their great sin of of selling him into slavery when he was was young, uh, Joseph declares uh, in Genesis 50, he says, But as for you, you meant evil against me. And he's saying, Look, brothers, what you did was evil. That was your intent. And it's evil in the sight of God. But then uh, Joseph continues, But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. God used the sin of Joseph's brothers to bring about the good even of their own salvation. He uses the actions even of sinful men to accomplish His plan. The plan and purpose of God is never, ever thwarted because God is a sovereign God. And Jonah, again, sought to flee from the Lord's presence. And he desired death rather than to fulfill God's calling. But the Lord used Jonah's sin to save many alive, even eternally so. And not just for Jonah, but remember, even for the sailors, and then ultimately, even for the people of Nineveh. So Jonah acknowledges God's sovereignty in his prayer, that God was in control the whole time. Jonah also acknowledges the abounding grace and mercy of God. And we see this in how Jonah obviously knew that he was undeserving because of his sin. And yet, in verse 3, the Lord answered me. He heard my voice. And in verse 6, he brought up my life from the pit. And later, Jonah will testify this again in chapter 4, verse 2, saying, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah knew That the Lord had no obligation to answer his prayer and to respond to his cry for help. He knew that death was his just reward because of his sin against God. And so he seems here almost stunned when the Lord responds. 
And indeed, this is what prompts his prayer of thanksgiving now in the belly of the fish, that God is most gracious to answer the prayer of his people who cry out in the midst of their distress. Now, he's not required to respond. He doesn't have to respond. There is no obligation. God does as he pleases. But he graciously hears the prayers of those lost sinners so that he might glorify himself by saving and delivering them even from the just judgment that they deserve. Though Jonah was in rebellion against God at the time, his prayer was actually offered in faith. For it's the prayer of faith that the Lord graciously hears and responds to. Now, not every prayer offered up to God is offered in faith. That is, some pray and it's just kind of a a shot in the dark, right? The sailors were praying initially to their idol gods. Well, that prayer was not going anywhere. No one was hearing that prayer. Others just pray and they think, well, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't. James warns about this kind of prayers that are often up with doubt and without expectation. He says, but let him, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And so he's saying here that if you harbor doubts when you pray, well then you ought not to expect an answer from God. Because it's the prayer that believes, the prayer of faith, the prayer that trusts that the Lord is is true, that He's just, that He's merciful, and that He's gracious. That's the prayer that will be heard. And along with this prayer of faith, will then flows hope and assurance. Flows a confidence that the Lord who is abounding in grace and mercy will not only hear the prayer, but He will also answer it according to His most holy and perfect will. We see Jonah expressing this hope and and assurance in his reference to the temple. First in verse 4, he says, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now we read this and may think, well, this is somewhat presumptuous, right? That Jonah would be so confident that he would live to once again see the temple in Jerusalem. And certainly only God, though, knows whether Jonah would see the temple again. But Jonah is trusting in God's grace. And as he trusts in God's grace, he's assured that the Lord isn't quite finished with him yet. See a similar prayer of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Paul is when he's he's a, I, I, you know, it's better for me to uh, to um, to be with the Lord, but it's better for you to be with you. And he's like, but I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll be with you. It's that same confidence because Paul was trusting in the grace of God. But even if not, even if Jonah doesn't survive and never gets to see the temple in Jerusalem, his prayer is still assured. Note the contrast that Jonah is making here in verse 4. He's been cast out from the Lord's sight. And yet, he knows that he will look again toward the temple. That is, looking toward the temple isn't necessarily the same thing as being at the temple. 
And again, remember that the significance of the temple in Jerusalem was that it was just the symbolic dwelling place of the Lord among His people. And so there, within the temple courts, in the most holy place above the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord was present with His people. That's what He promised. That's where He chose uh, to place His name in the midst of His people. And so Jonah's confidence after fleeing from the presence of the Lord, is that as he now cries out in faith, he would once again come into the presence of the Lord as the Lord would save him, either in life or in death. We see the same idea of being in the Lord's presence in verse 7. He says, My prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Again, the promise of the Lord is that the prayers of His people, when they cry out for His mercy, Their prayers will come up before Him, even before His very presence, even before His face, as the literal translation would be. Not just in a building in Jerusalem, but reaching into His heavenly throne room where He truly dwells and rules over all creation. The prayer that's prayed in faith will enter into the presence of the Lord. And those who pray, again, whether in faith, whether in life, or in death, they will see and stand before the presence of the Lord. That's Jonah's hope here. Beloved of God, we can certainly have this same hope and assurance that our prayers of faith, even, even those prayers that are offered up, offered up in the midst of our own sin and rebellion and in the midst of our own weakness, that our prayers, that they're prayed in faith, we can have the hope and assurance that God will truly hear and answer those prayers And that in whatever way he answers them, with life or even with death, that we shall see his glorious presence. Not because of what we've done, but because of his abounding grace and mercy bestowed upon us for his glory, honor, and praise. Friends, this is Jonah's prayer. But as you read through Jonah's prayer... Consider now carefully the words that he uses. Consider the the phrases and the expressions, even the style with which he prays and writes. As you read it, does it look and sound familiar? Does Jonah's prayer seem similar to other prayers that you may have read or sung? You see, from childhood... Jonah would have known the scriptures, which are able to make one wise unto salvation. And especially as a prophet, he would have known the law of Moses. He would have known uh, the, uh, what had already been written in the history of God's people through, uh, like for example, First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, or at least part of Second Kings, because uh, he's living in the part of that. But he would have known what's come before that, because he's a prophet of God. He would have known the Word of God. He also would have known the psalms, the songs of praise that God's people sang during worship. Uttered from the lips of David and other faithful men, guided by the Holy Spirit. Those songs, we know, those psalms were in many cases prayers offered up to the Lord. And it's striking that Jonah's prayer, if you read it, it reads like the psalms. Now, not that he necessarily is directly quoting a particular psalm or psalms, but it seems as though God's word 
found especially in the Psalter, is informing Jonah's prayer as he makes the words of the Psalms his own and applies them in his own situation. Brothers and sisters, this is one of the great blessings that we enjoy because we sing the Psalms. Because they are the living word of God. And they have a way of impressing themselves upon our hearts and our minds so that even our prayers will often reflect and use the same language that we sing in our worship. Now the themes that we noted in Jonah's prayer, again, are also themes that are found in the Psalms. And the wording and the imagery is also very familiar as well. For example, Jonah begins his prayer in verse 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and He answered me. Well, consider what Psalm 120 verse 1 says. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and He heard me. Look at verse 3. And the floods surrounded me as your billows and your waves passed over me. Listen to Psalm 42 verse 7. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. Again, look at verse 6. You have brought up my life from the pit. Psalm 40 verse 2, as we'll sing uh, shortly. He says, he has also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And verse 7. I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. As we sang earlier, Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from His temple, and my cry came before Him, even to His ears. At a time when Jonah was most desperate, and when he was about to succumb to death, the Psalms, the, the very Word of God, which he had sung from childhood, came to him encouraged him and informed his prayer that he offers up here in the belly of the fish. What a great comfort that the Lord gives to his people, even to us. At times when we can't pull out our Bibles, when we're even unable to, uh, to open up our apps on our phones, the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, will enable us to call to mind his word that we've read and that we've sung, to bring us comfort to bring us strength, and to bring us hope, even informing our prayers offered up, even in our darkest hour. This is what the Lord does for Jonah. But we need to take a second look at this. Indeed, this is Jonah's prayer. Right again, though he appears to be alluding to the Psalms, he's not, again, he's not penning a new Psalm, or even necessarily quoting directly from a particular Psalm, as we noted. It's the themes, the imagery, and in some cases, even the words that the Psalm of the Psalms that come through in his prayer. It's like he's got them all in his head, and, and he just sort of uses, pulls on the phraseology to offer up his prayer. But think about Jonah's situation. Yes, he's a prophet, but he's a rebellious prophet. He disobeyed God's direct command and not only fled in the opposite direction, but he foolishly tried to flee from the very presence of the Lord. The tempestuous storm on the sea 
was certainly God's doing, as He is the sovereign Lord. But the danger Jonah and the sailors found themselves in, that was all because of Jonah's sin. After the sailors tossed Jonah overboard, Jonah makes that horrific journey to the bottom of the sea, even to the point of death, death which he truly deserved and wanted. Indeed, Jonah even stubbornly waited to the very last moment, his last breath, to cry out to the Lord for mercy. But when Jonah prays to the Lord, using the themes, imagery, and language of the Psalms, it actually seems as though he's wildly taking them out of context and he's applying them to his own situation. Now it's true, some psalms, for example Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are, are written in the context of the psalmist's own sin and the suffering that he endures. Psalm 32 in particular talks about how the Lord had pressed him heavily even he couldn't sleep through the night until he came and confessed his sin to the Lord. But he acknowledged his sin and he confessed it and he sought the Lord's mercy for forgiveness. And so there are a few psalms that are written out of that context of, of the psalmist suffering because of his own sin. But the majority of psalms, even the psalms that we highlighted, that Jonah seems to be uh, remembering or echoing, are, are pleas from God's servants who are being unjustly assaulted, abused, and persecuted and condemned. For example, Psalm 120, the psalmist is praying there for God's deliverance from blasphemers, from mockers, and those who falsely accuse, from, from lying lips. In Psalm 42, the psalmist finds himself lonely and depressed as he's isolated from the Lord and the people of God in a foreign land. And Psalm 18 is David's prayer of thanksgiving after the Lord delivered him from his enemies, including King Saul, who unjustly persecuted him and sought to kill him. So Jonah prays as though he's a just and righteous man who's unjustly being persecuted, and yet the reality is, is that all that he has endured and received, he's justly deserved. But friends, such is the abounding grace and mercy of the Lord God toward undeserving sinners. Jonah had been called. He had been set apart to be a prophet of the Lord. And despite his sins and despite his rebellion and his weaknesses, the Lord had called Jonah, had chosen him, and even now had graciously saved him for the, to fulfill the plan and purpose that the Lord had determined before the foundation of the world. Now, Jonah's prayer may seem misapplied. It's still a prayer he offers up in faith. And friends, the Lord is always faithful to His promise, to the promise that He makes. That even that He will hear the cry of His people as they call out to Him in faith. We just read about that in, in Judges. The people were Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord. They're, being, they're in sin, they're rebellion, they're turning to idolatry. And yet they get to the point where they cry out to the Lord in faith, please help us. And over and over and over again we see that in the book of Judges. The Lord is always faithful to hear the cry of His people who call out to Him in faith. But the fact that Jonah is a prophet leads us to another important conclusion. Even as we 
understand that the prayers and the songs of David and the other writers of the Psalms are ultimately the words, prayers, and songs of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God become in the flesh. Jonah's prayer here, the prayer uh, truly of a, of a righteous man unjustly assaulted and plunging to the depths of suffering and death, is a prophetic prayer to be found ultimately and rightly on the lips of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jonah's prayer is Jesus' prayer as it was Jesus who was cast into the depths of death when He was crucified on the cross for our sins. It was Jesus who drowned in our sorrows and griefs so that we wouldn't have to. It was Jesus who descended to the pit, even to the belly of Sheol, the place of the dead. It was Jesus who cast, he was cast out from the presence of the Lord because of our sin placed upon Him at the cross. As He cried out from the cross, quoting Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus there was experienced that, 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 that He was being shielded from the Father's love as He endured the wrath and curse of God for our sins in our place. It was Jesus whose soul fainted within Him as He gave up His spirit as the gates of death closed behind Him. But it was also Jesus who was assured of the promises of God's Word. That even as He would be buried in the tomb, knowing that on the third day He would be raised up from the dead with His life brought up from the pit in the power and glory of God. So that undeserving sinners, undeserving sinners like Jonah, undeserving sinners like each and every one of us here, might have that sure and certain hope of the forgiveness of sins, of peace and reconciliation with God, and eternal life in His glorious presence, all to the praise of His glorious name, forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we praise You and thank You for Your Word. We thank You for its truth and its comfort. And we are, are just filled with joy and gladness. The great salvation that Christ our Savior has secured for us. And yet we are also very humbled because we acknowledge our own unworthiness. And even now as we daily struggle with sin continually because of the remnant of the sin nature that remains in us. And yet you are always faithful. When we cry out to you in faith, you will always hear and always answer our prayer according to your most holy and perfect will. We praise you and thank you, O Lord, for that Wonderful, precious gift. As we consider what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And as it's pictured here in the book of Jonah. That we can identify with Jonah. We are truly like him. But in this prayer, he is like you. Speaking of your experience, our Savior Jesus. Descending to the depths of death only to be raised again in power and glory in the third day so that our salvation can be secured once and for all. 
Father, we pray that you would truly, by the power of your spirit, impress this truth upon each and every one of our hearts, drawing us all closer to yourself, all to the praise of your glorious name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.